The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C., We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Abraham Lincoln Radio Studio at the George Washington Broadcast Center. Jack Armstrong and Joe Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. The, the problem we have is the same one we had back in the 1970s. The bottom line is this. This is all because of printing money and spending money. Yeah, I mean, it's really simple. What causes inflation is money printing and, and excessive spending. The government was out of control with its fiscal policies, its monetary policies. Inflation set in, and, and banks were just not ready for that or prepared for that. Clearly. Uh, yeah, well, as we've been saying for a long time, and when you have all kinds of things that have never happened before, you're going to end up with things that have never happened before, although we have had banks fail before, but... Um Inflation, spending, et cetera, et cetera. Crazy, insane, debt-driven spending causes inflation. Who knew? Scares the crap out of me, I'll tell you that. Everybody knew. Did you watch the video of uh, the Russians messing with our drone? I did, yeah. Yeah, it's something, isn't it? Mm Mm-hmm. Do you think those pilots were out of control? Or just, Mm. just trying to do that? No, I suspect they were following orders. Because uh, I saw General Milley yesterday. They, they dumped the gas on us on purpose, he said. They were buzzing us on purpose. Mm-hmm. He said, whether or not they hit us on purpose, we still don't know yet. I doubt it. I doubt it, too. I'd be afraid of getting knocked out of the sky myself. And it seems impossible that you could so carefully calculate at that speed to, to hit something to damage it and not yourself. That just doesn't, right. doesn't make sense. Um. So I came across this poll. This is a great question. I love this question. Joe's going to quibble the hell out of this thing. Oh, yes. Yes. I'll give you the headline first, and then we'll get into it. Let me stretch my quibble muscles. Get ready. With the question being, are 
I'll go with his. Is this country's best days still ahead of it? Is, oh boy. is the United States' best days still ahead of it? And I've got the re- the answer from Republicans. So I you, think it's our. Our. Are our, our best days still ahead of us? Yes. Our, our. Our, our best days. Our, our. Uh, wow. Yeah, there's a lot of quibbling to be done. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Let's start with, uh, okay, uh, how do you define You that? could just answer yes or no. Every, uh, but then I wouldn't be me. I've got to be true to be, to, I've got to be true to myself. I think I'm a quick no, but go ahead. Uh, no, I would agree. I would agree. Uh, I suppose everybody has to define it for themselves, right? In a quiz like this, uh, or a poll like this. Remember, what was... Best Je- days. I almost, I wanted to look this up. I'm sure we got the clip somewhere. Remember what Jeb Bush was running on? He had some statement that we mocked that was just crazy. If I'm elected president, the best days you've ever lived through will happen or something. It was something like that. It was just a... All your dreams will come true. <laughs> yes, vote for Pedro. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was something like that, but I just... And I'm not... I know it's it's it, it smacks of like being anti-American or a nihilist or something to not say your best days. Are, but at some point, your best days are not ahead of you as a human being. And I think as a country, there sure. still can be very, very good days for a very, very long time. But how is the United States ever going to end up in a situation it was through the 50s, for instance, where it just dominated the world in so many different platforms and had all these different advantages because of natural resources and everything like that. How's it ever going to be that way again? Right. I I think I would probably, as I'm trying to answer that question, I would look at uh, peace and security, you know, a grade, you know, a one to 10 or something grade on that number. Um, Prosperity, um, you know, the average household's uh, income, living conditions, Uh, life expectancy, um, and a handful of other measures. I'm sure y'all are coming up with some on your own. But, yeah, I'd say by a lot of those measures, we're doing less well than we did for a while. Uh, even, you know, racially speaking, it's a little complicated. Because in the pre-civil rights era, there were some terrible, terrible wrongs perpetrated against minority folks. In particular, black that's, people. That's, but those not certainly not exclusively black people. So that's but, the problem you always have if you ever mention the 50s being a great time mm, like I just did. Yeah. Yeah. But at the same time, and this is what's really interesting, and I think if, if, if people were actually concerned about the best outcomes for their fellow human beings, whatever they looked like, but, you know, a black children, Hispanic children, whatever, if you actually, if it was actually your concern, the best possible lives for all those beautiful little children going forward in the future, you would deal with questions like, at that point, the black family was intact in a way that it isn't now. Black entrepreneurship, huge business ownership, education, that sort of thing, was in a pretty good place by a lot of measures. Not all, certainly not all, but there are a lot of things that have been lost for black America. So why? So anyway, it's a, it's complicated no matter how you look at it. But just in general for the country, and I should have looked up these stats since if we were going to talk about this, but like the percentage of all so many different sectors of world manufacturing that we dominated in the 50s. I mean, mm-hmm. cars, 
appliances, stuff like that. Not even close. Everything. Now. Everything. Yeah, absolutely yeah. everything. We dominated for a variety of reasons coming out of World War II. That It's never going to be that way again. And that's not, not anybody's fault. Uh, but it's also a lie for any politician to act like that's ever going to come back again if you just enacted their policies. Well, and if you're talking about personal satisfaction, everybody knows at this point, or everybody should know, it's just beyond dispute, you need A, to feel like you're living a life of purpose, and B, you have to have connectedness with other human beings that you care about and care about you. That is how you become happy. That is why you are happy. And I would at least ask the question, in terms of people feeling like they're living a life of purpose, how are we doing now versus uh, another time? Say, even like the 90s, um, early 90s. Uh, and uh, connectedness with other human beings. We're connected to a screen, not human beings. So I don't know. I know. I, I think... I think the empire has peaked, honestly, to the extent that somebody sitting in the year 2023 can can envision the future, which is, uh, you know, iffy at best. Yeah. So I'm trying to picture how, like, our friend Tim Sander for the Libertarian uh, would answer this question. And I wonder if people like him might say, I'm putting words in a person's mouth that aren't even there. But uh, people like him might say, as long as... We continue to have freedom for you to make your own choices and live the life you want to live. Then, yes, our best days are ahead of us because each individual gets to live whatever life they want to live. And since wow, that's really eloquent, foe Tim. Go on. (laughs) And since what you were talking about is what really matters, are you living a life of purpose? Do you have friends? Mm -hmm. Not whether or not we dominate the world car manufacturing or that sort of stuff. Right. Um, then the answer could be yes. Our best days are ahead of us, or as, or as good at days are are ahead of us as we've had yeah. in the past. Which well, I might I'll, actually believe the more I think about it. So, all right, two things. Number one, uh, we are moving away from liberty, not toward it. So that uh, reinforces my answer that no, our best days are not ahead of us. On the other hand, if indeed Tim Mankay, if you're going to look at it. As I often do, and I often say, you're an individual. You're not the economy. You're not society. Live the life you think you ought to live. Of course, the question is, is the United States best days ahead of us? Now, who's the quibbler? Are the country's best days still ahead of it? Let me tell you this. I would have had the same answer five years ago as I have now. This is interesting. So just 30% of all Republicans and Republican leaners say the country's best days are still ahead of it. That's a dramatic shift from 2019 when Trump held the White House and 77% said the best was ahead. Okay, I'm through with this. (laughs) Are you kidding? The number shifted by what percentage? Like 40-some percent? Almost half. Based Went on from old Joe Biden's going to be in the Oval Office for a cup of coffee? Who cares? Most Republicans and Republican-leaning independents, that's 61% of them, say the country's increasing racial, ethnic, and national diversity is enriching America's culture. Glad to hear that, because I agree. But a sizable and growing share see it as a threat. Which, of course, CNN is emphasizing. Yeah. They're yeah. de-emphasizing the fact that the so-called racist Nazi party... Easy, easy majority says that racial, ethnic, and national diversity is making things better. Got to overlook that because it's the Nazi party, you realize. How many things in life that are even worth talking about <laughs> are one or the other? 
good or bad. Good thing or bad thing. Good thing or bad thing. I mean, uh, the I I guess yeah. That the the answer to that question is probably yes. On the other hand, our greatest strength is not diversity. Our greatest strength is unity. Unity around a set of principles. If because we've imported so many people so quickly, some from all sorts of different places, we no longer. I mean, if you have millions of people pouring across the border, they're not taking the vaunted citizenship tests of all of your. They're just pouring in, getting a job. If we lose that unity around a set of principles, then no, all that diversity that you were discussing is not a good thing. Maryland and West Virginia currently tied at two apiece in the early going. That's a nine seed and an eight seed. I've got my eye on it. Check your bracket. Really? When, have the playing games already started? Those were like in the last couple of days. Oh, they were? Today's one that really gets going with games all day long. I got the Chinese bad fever. I don't know. Oh, okay. I've been shivering. Judy came home from a, a social engagement last night, and I'm walking around the house in my hoodie with the hood pulled up and the drawstrings pulled. Yeah. That's when you know I'm sick, too, when I've got the little thing tied around my neck yeah. <laughs> on my hoodie. That's when you're sick. She walks in the door and says, uh-oh. <laughs> Coronavirus! That's right. My son did that with his hoodie the other day. He tied it close around his eyes, and I said, somebody killed Kenny. He didn't know what I was talking about. Ah. It's a South Park joke. Um, I got I got the Fauci flu. If only they had kept those slides in the Wuhan lab, not brought them home to show their kids, or whatever happened. Or if they only they would disinfect their bats before they throw them in the barrel. Oh, boy. What's more fun than a barrel of bats? Um, uh, how do you answer the question? Are America's best days still ahead of it? Text line 415-295-KFTC. Armstrong and Getty. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe. Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. So I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Armstrong and Getty Show. 
look, you paid for Social Security from the time you got your first check when you were 16 years old, working as a lifeguard or something, okay? And I'm determined to protect them both. All right. Fake demagoguery of Social Security as Joe Biden reminisces about his days corralling corn pop and showing off his hairy legs and the rest of it. As I got hairy done. legs. <laughs> yeah, we know. Well, and getting into bent, rusty knife fights. <laughs> right. Remember the straight race? You'd bang them on the no, curb. No, no. That is his craziest story. As much attention as has gotten from us and others, it's that is a crazy story. If your dad just all of a sudden acts like he used to get into regular razor fights and he would get the razor rusty to give the guy tetanus if he lived, I guess. I don't even know what the to idea is. To make a more jagged wound, yeah. yeah. And that's, really that's those days used to remember the straight razor, you'd bang him on the curb, get him rusty, put him in a rain barrel, no. get him rusty. You crazy person. So Jonah Goldberg of the Dispatch uh, did a podcast the other day with one of the leading experts on memory and was applying it, it to the story. For, well, you could pick a whole bunch of different stories, but the most recent one from just a couple of days where Joe Biden tells this fanciful story about how he came to believe in gay marriage and claims in 1960 he was sitting there in front of the school with his dad and saw two men kiss, and his dad said, it's love, Joey, it's love. And, and It's simple, they love each other. Right, whatever. And so nobody believes that story. I don't think any, even Joe Biden supporters, I don't think, believe any of that. No, nobody does. We've all just come to accept that he just makes crap up. But so the question Jonah Goldberg was asking is, does he knowingly make this stuff up? Or, or does he have dementia? Or, or is he just... you? Know, or, is, or how much of it is just the way the human brain works? And that's why he had this expert on about the brain and memory. And some of this stuff, well, the main takeaway is this. If you have a story from way back in your past, a lot of it is wrong that you remember now, that I remember now. It's troubling to think about. So really. disturbing. It, yeah. it really is troubling to think that some of my favorite memories, whether they're a good time, a bad time, a lesson learned or whatever, I've got so much of it wrong. Maybe, maybe even the important stuff wrong. In my said, hey, Esther. Because just the way the mind works. Um, this guy, Bloom, who's a scientist who studied it, and he's got a book called Psych, the Story of the Human Mind. One fascinating detail is that it's not that the memories aren't in there. Our long-term memory has virtually unlimited storage. He writes in the book, every word you know is in long-term memory. Every face you recognize, every story, every joke, every victory, every humiliation, they are all in your long-term memory. So many humiliations. <laughs> One estimate is that our cranial hard drives hold 2.5 petabytes of information. About a million gigabytes of storage capacity in the human brain. Boy, Baxter loves the petabytes. That's how I trained him to sit. <laughs> If you had a computer with that much memory, you could hold 3 million hours of video. That would be the equivalent of 342 years of video. I mean, it's bigger than any computer you possibly could buy or own or create or anything like that. The human brain is so amazing. But for a variety of reasons that it doesn't keep all this information as important, all the details, all the details get lost or mangled up or whatever over the years. Yeah, I find this so interesting. I wish I had unlimited time to read about it. I suppose I could read this guy's book. But as I've mentioned several times on the show, I've realized about my own memory, my unaided recall is terrible. Terrible. Hey, did you uh, ever do this? Nope. Nope, I didn't. 
then if you give me a single detail, yes, you did. It was blank, and it was blank. I'll, it'll all whoop. The file opens up, and I remember everything. But I've got to, I've got to open the file, and I'm, for some reason, my brain doesn't do that. It's like stored between behind one too many locks. It's weird. And I've come to realize that everybody's different in that way. Well, what are we supposed to do with the fact that our stories are are all very inaccurate? That are our, our, our memories. I'll tell you what I've done. Get over it. <laughs> that's that's the way we are as human beings. It is disturbing and kind of sad in a way, but it's squarely in the realm of things I can't do anything about. Well, true, but does it then justify making up stuff? It might as well. I mean, if, if my what I think are accurate details are wrong, I might as well make up other ones. Well, and as I said to, was a bad dude. As I said to George Washington, as long as the truth is in the story, it's a true story. And he nodded at me, he waved his musket, and walked off into the night. <laughs> Armstrong and Getty. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe. Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. So I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Armstrong and Getty Show. It's a tough category to rise to the top, but the most dishonest person in America might have a good uh, nominee oh. for that coming up. Wow, it's 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 a tough field sure. because you it's the only the harder thing than getting to the top is staying on top. <laughs> right, right. So many liars these days. Uh, I love this piece of thinking by Thomas Lennard, who's an economist, the president emeritus and senior fellow at the Technology Policy Institute, for what that's worth. But the uh, the title of this piece is The Public Still Deserves Answers About Our COVID Response. Three years on, a Blue Ribbon Commission should investigate where we went wrong and what we got right. And I realized that this is, oh, that's right. Gosh, dang it. I apologize. That's my bad. I want to play that, uh, that uh, what's her name, Whitmer clip. 
What's her name, Whitmer? Do you mean the governor of Michigan? Right, the uh, bearded yay who's did or did not uh, plan to kidnap. Yeah, clip 36, Michael. There were moments where we, you know, had to make some decisions that, in retrospect, don't make a lot of sense, right? Um, If you went into the hardware store, you could go in the hardware store, but we we didn't want people, you know, all congregating around the gardening supplies. People said, oh, she's outlawed seeds. It was February in Michigan. No one was planting anyway. But um, that being said, you know, some of those policies, I look back and think, you know, that what maybe was, was a little was a little more than we needed to do. You know, I want to revisit how stupid that decision was, but I should be more charitable and say, I wish there were more of you saying that. I wish there were more people saying, you know, in retrospect, that was too much or too far or stupid. At least somebody is saying that. It's amazing how few people are saying that. That's a really great observation. As harshly as I have criticized Gretchen Whitmer and as awful I think as I think she is as a politician, she at least has the guts to say, yeah, in some places we went too far. And I appreciate that. But there was a lot we were, of stupid that we happened. We were out of her minds. That was, she's a Michigander. She's not a Canuck. She's got a little of that. You can hear yeah, it. A little bit. Yeah, the upper Midwestern thing. Anyway, so uh, getting back to the piece from uh, Thomas Lennard, who wants to take an honest look at all this stuff. When the Department of Energy released a report in late February concluding that the coronavirus mostly, most likely originated from a lab leak, pushback came from an unexpected source. The White House. Spokesman John Kirby said, quote, there's not a consensus, on close quote, regarding the virus's origins. Then the FBI announced that it concurred with the Department of Energy. The mixed messaging points to a bigger issue, the lack of clarity and rigor in our evaluation of how COVID-19 came to be and how our response fared. Other countries, including Denmark, Finland, Norway, and Sweden, all have created institutional bodies to evaluate their handling of the crisis. We should do the same here and compare our handling of the pandemic to that of other nations by establishing a Blue Ribbon National Commission. You know, we could pause here and discuss the state of affairs that the greatest superpower on Earth would be so stupid and wrapped up in in uh, partisan politics that we can't do something as obvious and bitterly needed as the commission this guy's talking about. Mm-hmm. Uh, an independent COVID-19 commission would be free to ask politically pesky questions, ones that cannot be fairly adjudicated on the editorial pages or airwaves. For instance, why did America have the fifth highest excess mortality rate of the 38 countries that make up the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development during the first 18 months of the pandemic? Excess mortality includes reported and unreported COVID deaths, as well as deaths caused indirectly by the pandemic. For example, among people who failed to get adequate medical care for other conditions. And it's fair for the public to ask why the U.S. was a laggard on that indicator. Yeah, I would like to know myself. That question and others can only be asked by a national commission, a body that can remain relatively free of politics and posturing. Congressional committees like the House Select Subcommittee on the Coronavirus Pandemic that recently held a public roundtable will never have the credibility that a Blue Ribbon Commission would. This is, uh, there. I'm sorry, there is much we can learn not only about our own response, but from other countries. South Korea was hit hard early in the pandemic, did not lock down, and had the second lowest excess mortality rate on in the OECD. That's fascinating. It is, isn't it? And I'm not sure. By the way, this guy does not pitch a particular set of conclusions at all. And neither am I or Jack in this instance. It's just honest curiosity. Korea adopted a strategy of aggressive testing, contact tracing, and isolation. Does that approach explain the difference, and why didn't we adopt it here? 
Just a question. Or consider Sweden, which also did not lock down, but which had the eighth lowest excess mortality rate in the OECD. Sweden's death rate from COVID alone is two-thirds that of the United States. Other Scandinavian countries, which locked down only briefly, did even better than Sweden in terms of excess mortality. What explains these differences? So that what's interesting about that is I'm trying to come up with the why that is. Um, I can understand when I hear numbers that say this state locked down, that one didn't, and they ended up with the same number of deaths. And I think, yeah, because it's going to make its way around one way or another, and a certain number of people are going to die in somewhere. But how you end up with more deaths locking down than not locking down, I don't have an answer for. Unless it's the people couldn't go to the hospital and get other things taken care of. Yeah, well, this guy's point, before I answer, because your question is absolutely the question. Um this guy's point is that you can't offer uh, an answer off the top of your head. You've got to look into this stuff seriously and answer each of these individual questions, regardless of your point of view or what you were pitching at the time. You got to delve deep in all these policies and figure out, okay, what are the differences? What caused them? Um, and there's probably a lot of stuff that I would never come up with that was uh, at work here. But uh, in a brief answer to your question, yeah, I mean, all the suicides, the deaths of despair from isolation, the not getting cancer screenings, you know, all that stuff contributed to excess deaths. How much older and or fatter are we than the other countries? Sure, that could be a factor. Yeah, Korea's a very thin nation compared to the United States. That could be the whole answer right there. We're just so much fatter than South Korea. Great example of a question. You've just got to ask and answer without regard to your tribe. A COVID-19 commission could openly explore the fraught topic of public lockdowns, particularly in the wake of China's post-lockdown surging COVID case count. It's become clear that mass lockdowns carry significant costs, especially when it comes to keeping kids out of school. Amen. A growing body of research demonstrates the deleterious effects of school closures and remote learning, particularly for low-income groups. Then he says, hey, there's a precedent for that fairly recently in the United States, the 9-11 commission. By most accounts, the 9-11 Commission conducted its work in a fair, rigorous, and partisanship-free manner. I would agree. I've read the report. It was fantastic and, and, and amazing and shocking, by the way. Now, we don't have a lot of time left, but I thought this was a great companion piece to that. And that is... I'm trying to think if I know any fat Koreans. I don't think I know a single one. Personally? Yeah. No. Michael? Not that I'm aware of. I know a heavy Filipino. Uh, Zoftig uh, Chinese fella. Uh, I know a husky guy from Taiwan. (laughs) (laughs) But no fat South Koreans. And outside of the movies, I've seen no obese uh, Japanese. There you go. Anyway, it's Good point. I'm glad you brought it up. Anyway, uh, so I thought this went along beautifully with it, but we don't really have time, so I'll give you the very, very short version of it. But it is an absolutely terrific article in the Wall Street Journal about how science becomes politicized by Tim Trevan, whose uh, credentials escape me. They're around here somewhere. But um, there are many reasons why science and scientists can get things wrong. The most obvious is the need in urgent situations to make recommendations with imperfect data. In such cases, scientists have to rely on what information they have, and that's happened. That's what happened with me, he said. 
And he confesses to getting a bunch of stuff wrong during COVID, which way ups his credibility to yeah, me. Absolutely. Yeah. And uh, and the, the, the basis of this article was the lab leak theory. Um, but he, he gets into uh, the lab and the work that it was doing and why they were doing it and that the, the aims of it were actually quite good and, and noble. But he says, uh, but that's science. When asked to speculate on imperfect data, you draw on theory and available data, but hold your beliefs lightly and amend them as new evidence emerges. By and large, the international biosecurity community, of which I am a part, quickly reopened the book on the lab leak hypothesis. But others in the scientific and public health community held to their initial view and tried to suppress dissent. How could that have happened, given how self-evidently plausible the lab leak scenario is? Right. Yeah, when you're running against the most likely thing that happened well here's dr fauci on the whole thing we don't know definitively where or how the virus evolved we don't know that and i have kept an open mind from day one about keeping all possibilities open have you now holy crap i represent science dude is willing to save Flipping anything. Takes a lot of guts to say that, given that uh, information that came out just a week or so ago that he was behind that early paper that he referenced as if he didn't know where it came from. Right. That That utterly shut the door on the lab leak theory. Completely shut the door. I have kept an open mind since day one. He's full of crap. He's evil. Like I said last week, I wasn't uh, Fauci's evil guy. I just thought he was too much, too, too cautious, blah, blah, blah. He's full of, he's a liar. He's a criminal. Yeah, yeah, agreed. So getting back to Tim Trevon's article, um, scientists are human and science has become a vested vested interest industry. I'm unaware of any study what factors affected experts thinking in this specific case, but we know from social psychology and management sciences that various human performance factors play on people's actions, specifically dissonance. Everyone's the hero of his own story. Scientists and public health folks uh, see themselves as good people doing good through good processes. Science. The idea that good people diligently doing good might create bad outcomes creates a tension that the human brain hates and denial is the psychological defense. Interesting. So Fauci and company believed they were good people doing good through good processes. And the fact that something horrific that killed millions emerged from that, their brains can't process. OJ really thinks he didn't kill his wife, Ron Goldman. I don't feel like it's that difficult a thing in my mind, you know, and I'm a dullard. I can believe your intentions were 100% good and pure. And all about yeah. dedicating your life to making the world better. And it somehow leaked out of the lab because it's super contagious. Then he mentioned social proof. Scientists can't be experts in everything or even in all aspects of our immediate disciplines. When something new crops up, we look to those we think are better informed, other leading scientists to help us form our views and reinforce them. Thus, there's a tendency to settle on an established view. When that happens, it's hard to go against the orthodoxy. If perhaps Dr. Fauci organized dozens of eminent virologists all saying the lab leak theory is bunk, you might not want to go against that orthodoxy. Self-selection. People who choose the same profession tend to think about things similarly, so it's natural that groupthink could arise. That's interesting. See journalism. 
in-group and out-group dynamics. When we identify with a group and an outsider attacks other members of the group, it's a natural response for the group as a whole to mount a defense. Here, the attack was seen as being on both the scientists at the Wuhan lab and on virology as a whole. So all these virologists who are good people doing good things through good processes were told by their leaders, we're fine, we're perfect. And they felt like they were being attacked from outside. So they rejected even perfectly plausible possibilities. One more. Cultural cognition. For the most people, I'm sorry, for the most part, people don't form their views on complex social issues in isolation. Rather, they identify prominent people with whom they agree on issues that are most important to them and then tend to adopt their views on other issues. Sometimes the process works in reverse. Many public health officials strongly disagreed with Donald Trump's politics. When he asserted, without definitive evidence, that the Wuhan lab was the source, they assumed, either consciously or subconsciously, that the opposite must be true. Something we've said a thousand times. You gotta be better than that. Oh my god. And then two more factors that are incredibly important. Along with these cognitive biases, self-interest plays a role. You want to be in the in crowd. Reputation, status, recognition, important factors in getting promotions. Got to run with the herd. And secondly... I get that one. Then there's money, he said. Well, we've been too stupid to do that throughout our careers. All of a sudden, now you're with running with the herd? Anyway... Then he says, then there's money. Science doesn't happen, and scientists don't have careers without funding. If an entire field of research is besmirched or becomes socially unacceptable, as happened in the U.S. with stem cell research, for instance, the money is likely to go elsewhere, and careers, laboratories, and institutions suffer. So they were chasing the approval. They were chasing the money. They were chasing the status. They were following their leaders. Hail Fauci! Hail Fauci! Now I've got coming up the uh, maybe the most dishonest person in America, but it's going to be tough to beat uh, Fauci, what we just learned there. Anyway, mm-hmm. we'll finish strong coming up. Armstrong and Getty. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe. Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. I'm thinking about it quite often. 
Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Seriously, are rivalries so intense we can't stay at the same hotel? Rodney, Rhodey, Ramses, you're from the same flock. <sighs> okay. <laughs> so it's a visual, but it's one of those ads about the NCAA tournament where they're talking to all the mascots. So it's. Oh. <laughs> and he talks about all the bird mascots. You're from the same flock. And some bear turns and looks at him. <laughs> I don't know why I find those so amusing, where they take the mascots seriously. <laughs> anyway, um, uh, March Madness really kicking off uh, today. Hopefully you uh, bet a bunch of money in your office pool and don't get arrested by the FBI for it. Do you remember Michael Cohen? What polls? All of them? Which polls? All of them. Okay. Trump's fixer. Trump's yes. fixer, and he went to jail. Anyway, so he testified for a bunch of time yesterday in the whole hush money case. MSNBC again today opened with, I was going to have Hanson grab the audio because it's just hilarious to hear for the 500th time. Well, yesterday was the day. It's all over now, but the indictments, which Ah! should be coming any moments. Okay, maybe they are going to this time, but they haven't any of the other times in the past. And Michael Cohen testifying in the hush money case, which... They never point out that that's not against the law, hush money. Anyway, they were, Michael Cohen was asked, why are you cooperating so fully? And he said, because that was the pledge that I made. Democracy is more important than anything. My goal is to ensure that the truth comes out. How's the view up there on the cross? What a lying piece of crap. You got wow. caught and all of a sudden you care about democracy, whatever. It's Final Thoughts, boys, that'll do, boys. Soon we'll hear your comments. Entertain us, give us closure, for the show is nearly done. I have more on Michael Cohen, but I'll save that for my final thought. Here's your host for Final Thoughts, Joe Getty. Hey, I'll look forward to that final thought, Jack. But first, let's go around the horn. Michelangelo, our technical director with the first. Lead us off, Michael. Well, I'm down to one last mint um, Girl Scout cookie sleeve. So I have one sleeve left, oh. and it's the last weekend where the girls are still out. So uh, I think you got to buy more. Yeah, do the math. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> probably what I'm going to do. You got to get a year's supply, man. You got to stuff that freezer full. Jack, a uh, final thought. I was just thinking with Michael Cohen, who who clearly just doesn't care. I mean, my Says con- who? My conscience bothers me all day long about like practically every thought and interaction I have. I wonder what it's like to be a guy like him where you just plain do what's in your best interest at that moment, regardless of truth or law or feelings or reputation or anything. I wonder what it's like. Is it freeing or tiring or easy? I don't. I can't even imagine. It'd have to be like being an alligator for a day. What's that like? I don't know. I bet it's easy. Yeah, yeah. My final thought is, I'm just scanning the uh, the articles I read about how we need a blue ribbon commission and why scientists got all, you know, perverted from their purpose and ran around in herds claiming things not that weren't sure true. Is there anybody left in power who cares about what's right? Or is it just a constant scrapping for advantage? Well, a question I think we've been asking for 200-some years. 
Yeah, I guess. Uh, more tomorrow. We'll see you then. God bless America. Armstrong and Getty. There's a monkey on the front porch. Just sitting around, playing the fiddle. Who do you think you are? A zebra. A zebra? A bobcat. I'm not a cat. It's the fat. It's the fat. It's the fat. Yep. Okay. What percentage of the people are on drugs? 80%. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Those are the rules. Those are the rules. It is what it is. That high note? Thank you all very much. Armstrong and Getty. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take D.C. on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.